Listener Production. Shares. Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very special Sunday mailbag edition. It is special because it's Sunday, it's special because it's the mailbag, and it's special because my co-host is here. He is, of course, the inestimable Andrew J. Page, from made up his mission, Esquire. <laughs> How are you, mate? I'm very good, yeah, yeah. I think you're Andrew R. Page, actually, aren't you? I am, am I right indeed, about that? I yes. thought you were. I think I you're you a were. Scott R. Phillips. I am, exactly, for the same reasons. Uh-huh. Uh, mate, thank you for joining me on this beautiful Sunday morning. So early. I've got you out of bed. You're in your jammies. You've got your coffee with you. You've, yep. uh, you're ready to face the day, right? You betcha. I'm here. I've been, I've been up <laughs> since four, went to the gym, <laughs> did a bit of charity work, and now I'm here. <laughs> you're nothing if not a good man, I mate. just give, that, give, give. It's my problem. It's a, it's a late too start much. for you too, mate. Normally, you're up at three doing those things. So, you know, sleeping on Sunday. You're entitled to sleeping on Why Sunday not? mornings. It's appropriate. Um, I should say, by the way, well, we, let's start off with this. If you do want your question answered in a mailbag, we've got a couple coming up in the next few weeks. And we're going to pre-record a couple for the Christmas break. We will be with you right through Christmas, we promise. In fact... Here's a, here's a uh, well, not sure if it's a gift or not, Andrew. Maybe, maybe our, our listeners can decide. Sunday's this year. Christmas Day and New Year's Day are both Sundays. So we will be with you on Christmas Day and New Year's Day. You're welcome, fools and, <laughs> and straw people. Uh, we are going to drop episodes, as we always do, on the usual schedule, notwithstanding Acts of God and other things. Um, but we are going to pre-record those episodes because neither I nor Andrew are going to have a morning to ourselves on Christmas or New Year's for various reasons. So uh, hit us up. Info, I-N-F-O, at fool.com.au or on the socials. If you're on Twitter, you can get Andrew at Sage underscore Simeon or at Strawman Invest. This, of course, is if Elon hasn't listened to our last podcast and uh, already kicked us off the platforms. But assuming we haven't been kicked off yet, uh, you get Andrew there. You get me on Twitter or Insta at TMF Scott P. You can hit us up on Facebook. Uh, I'm just facebook.com forward slash Scott Phillips money or as I like to say I'm on Mastodon someone asked what Mastodon was don't worry about it but if you are there Scott <laughs> at Scott Phillips at mastodon.au if you're there, there Scott's, you Scott's the other person that's there I'm the only person <laughs> tweeting about Osbeers put it that way or, or Mastodoning tooting apparently is there because an elephant sort of toot and tweet thing but apparently I'm the only person doing that um, there was some there was some mention made to some of the powers that be at Mastodon that tooting in Australia means something very different yep. although some would suggest that given the quality of my messages it may not be that different after all so maybe it was <laughs> appropriate <laughs> anyway let's should we get on with the podcast yeah yeah let's do it mate I, we had we had a couple of um, I'm not sure whether to say cynical or sceptical or inquiring or challenging messages during the mm-hmm. week so I'm going to go for the one from Greg one from Shane Greg says is it weird that AMP is now a sponsor of the show is that their way to stop the host continuing to talk about what a crap company they are? I like it, says Greg. I think Greg's probably an AMP shareholder. Shane was a little less kind. Shane says, hi, Scott. Firstly, I love the podcast, but, you know, you know, there's a bit of butts going out badly. I thought I might take you to task on your recent promotions of AMP. If my memory is correct, you and multiple hosts over the years, yes, probably, uh, but Ram in particular, have made fun of AMP and their ordinary track record. I'm, I genuinely believe uh, you are... Uh, I genuinely believe you are not someone who would accept cash for comment, but this doesn't seem the case with this sponsor. Please feel free to discuss on the podcast with Ram, but I suspect you won't. Cheers, Shane. Shane, I love the uh, I love the kind of passive aggressive. I suspect you won't, mate. That was that was something, but I will I'll let that one slide because I'm a nice black. I'm like that. Uh, thank you, boys, for your your questions. Uh, I don't know. Do you even know that AMP is a sponsor, Ram? Did you are you across that? I was, I was I hoping you would keep talking because I, <laughs> I, I, not only that, it was just like I wasn't aware we had. We had sponsors, let alone <laughs> if they were one. So I'm, now, now I want this answered. What, what's so, this uh, so I'm yes. not getting any sponsorship money. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. So here's the uh, here's the story. Um, bottom line. Uh, so we accept advertisers. Um, the advertisers go via me. I've knocked back a heap of them over the years for different things. Um, and we make so firstly there's no cash for comment right I will continue to bag AMP's track record as a company for as long as I like and if AMP don't like that they're entitled to withdraw their sponsorship uh, if they frankly if they haven't been listening to the podcast thus far to know that we bagged I was going to say no one's, no one's <laughs> no one's been listening before they made that decision <laughs> can, I, can I say to you too to Shane's point we've actually had advertisers who pulled out because of uh, things that I have said in the past and I couldn't care less so we get we get a tiny bit of advertising money um, it, it keeps the lights on uh, Frankly, our partners at Listener get more of that than we do. And that's completely cool. It's their platform. They do most of the work other than the talking that Andrew and I do. Um, but they, they do, and then they do the selling, by the way, too, of the advertising space. Um, AMP I, wanted to sponsor us. And I said, 
Cool, maybe. So my, my general view is if, if I don't like the product at all, I won't do it. I won't do betting. Um, I also won't do, sorry, Andrew, I won't do crypto exchanges. Funnily enough, probably a good idea over the last couple of months. Why, why are you apologizing the for them? I'm with you there. They're, they're absolute casinos. Get rid of them. So um, so yes, I, I, I black banned those. Financial products, I have two issues. One is I won't promote something that I don't believe in. And secondly, I won't. I've got, I'm always very careful to tell the guys that listen to that the, um, the copy must not, imply or give a statement of belief on my behalf a because i have an ethical issue b because i am a licensed financial advisor and so anything i say can be construed as financial advice so that all out of the way that's that's the broad approach i take to advertisers um i don't love every product that we advertise and i don't personally endorse every product that we advertise and that's really important so if you listen to the copy you won't hear me advertising or endorsing anything i don't actually believe in uh, other things i have done and i'm happy to uh, I will promote, I will provide space and voice to a product as long as I don't think that product is terrible. In this case, AMP was doing a retirement uh, promo where they were just saying, "Hey, you know, what do you what do you want from retirement?" So that was the that was the thing. Now, are they going to use that for selling people some stuff? Yes, absolutely. People will be on a mailing list. I'm sure if they complete that that survey, and then people are entitled to to their view. I have so here's the thing: when we talk about AMP, I don't think I've ever bagged AMP's actual share market performance or, or sorry um, fund performance for what it's worth um, we've talked about their company performance I think that's absolutely true I will continue to say AMP completely screwed up the last 40 years of strategy to, to go from the preeminent national name in finance in 1980 to where they are now has just been a, an abomination and again I'm sorry AMP if you don't like it you're welcome to uh, seek to the people at Listener and withdraw your advertising I'm completely cool with that but they're entitled to sell products and also um, there's nothing to say that the investment products they are selling are necessarily as bad as the way the company's been run um, so you know that, that's why I do it um, we've advertised brokers in the past uh, I have used one of the brokers I think but not the other couple um, again same thing uh, as long as they're offering a product, as long as that product is, is legitimate, as long as they run those products in a legitimate way, I'm happy to allow them to sponsor the program. I'm happy to use my voice to do it, as long as I'm not making personal recommendations. I will read the script, I will explain products and features, um, but I won't, if I endorse something, I, personally, I will endorse it and say I endorse it. I won't, you know, we had the old cash for comment from some chock shocks who maybe mentioned said, I think Qantas this, or made statements as if it was editorial saying Qantas this. Uh, you will absolutely be sure, Shane and Greg. Uh, that uh, neither Andrew nor I will be saying anything. Uh, in fact, I will say the reverse is true. I own uh, Telstra shares. I have bagged Telstra on Twitter more times than I can remember. I own Domino's shares. I had a good go at Domino's a week or two ago about the way they tracked their pizzas. I am... <laughs> Maybe, maybe stupidly. Uh, I have no interest in cash for comment. In fact, I'm generally harder on the companies I own than the ones I don't. Uh, and the same will be probably true of the sponsors. So honestly, mate, uh, or both of you, Greg and Shane, uh, good, good on you raising the question. Really happy to, to hear from you. Um, and thank you for asking. Thank you for thinking about it. Thank you for thinking critically about what you're listening to, right? Uh, but go back to the ads and have a think. Uh, if I'm saying I like something, it's genuinely because I do. If I read an ad saying this company does this thing, as long as it's true, then I'm happy to uh, happy to continue to do that. So that's that's where we go uh, with that one. Uh, bottom line in advertising, as I said, um, we most of the money goes to listener. Uh, we pay for their overheads and then or the overheads of the podcast, and we pay for the sales team who do the work. And they are entitled to get that cut of the money, and then listen to get half again of what's left over as their cut, and we get we get whatever's left over after well, that. Well, so, well, well. Um, when you say we, <laughs> oh, not me. Don't worry about. It. I'm not getting any cash. Don't worry about that. It's going straight to consolidated revenue at the Motley Fool. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's, it's time to, when we go off air. It's time, it's time to revisit the, <laughs> the arrangement. I feel, mate. Can I? Can I? Well, I, I won't. Out of out of respect for the listener, I won't disclose either the numbers or the percentages. But trust me when I say you won't be um, you won't be clambering okay. for the money. All right. <laughs> <laughs> It's a bit embarrassing, um, actually. I was so naive. To, I, I, I just, I just don't listen. Well, I don't like the sound of my own voice no, so more than I, anything no, else. So I just, I just, I don't listen. No, but uh, yes. Yeah, so there, there you go. That's that's what we do. Uh, look, b bottom line would be we couldn't do it without advertising. Without so, listener who do the podcast, um, they are they are a media company that makes money from advertising that's what that's their business model so if um i'm not saying this year around talking to our listeners but you know this anyway um if we didn't do ads they there'd be no reason for them to host the podcast other than for whatever halo effect they get for being associated with you and i which is i'm sure massive Significant. Listener, isn't that a podcast that has the motley fool guys yeah, yeah that's <laughs> the straw man bloke yeah that's them um so yes no they, they they're, they're an advertising supported business they're a media business is what they do uh and so part of the deal is effectively you know they they host our podcast they do all the work um they sell some advertising space that's that's their business model so 
that's what we do in the US we've toyed with it we, we went from no advertising to advertising back to no advertising again um, it's just, just the way they've run that but they do all that in house in the States um, we're a smaller operation here we don't have the same degree of um, surprisingly enough people listen mate <laughs> The mm-hmm. podcast presenters aren't, aren't professionals, and uh, luckily we have professional audio guys who do what they do. So imagine how bad it would, it would sound otherwise. <laughs> anyway, enough about AMP, enough about sponsors. Uh, but yes, trust me when I say uh, there is. I have zero interest. I get none of this money either, by the way. To your point, Andrew. So uh, I don't care personally, and I care much more about my reputation than I care about you know a few bucks going to the Motley Fool's coffers. Sorry, boss, but that's just true. Hey, um, question from Singh who says, "Hi, Scott and Andrew." Question for the podcast and happy for you to use my name. Thank you, mate, because I just did. I have a question about ETFs. I like this one, Ram. Not only for the ETF question, but also what follows. You mentioned from time to time about Vanguard ETFs. I've been listening to you for a while, but I haven't heard you mention BlackRock. If you have, I apologize. I don't think we have. I haven't gone through all your episodes yet, says Sang. In particular, what is your opinion of BlackRock's ETFs, mainly their Global 100? It's slightly different to the Vanguard Global, but listen, interesting to hear your thoughts about their differences in terms of performance, what to consider when comparing the two, and which is the, quote, better option. Of course, general advice says saying, my strategy is simple. Now that is, uh, my strategy is simple, is broad-based ETFs for a very long period of time, mainly to hold and pass on to my kids, who are both four and two years of age. I'm 30 years old, in brackets, sorry, not sorry, Scott. Yeah, thanks, Sam. I'm happy with my position as my suit will do well come time for retirement. This is why any investing I do now and in the future will be purely for my kids. As Warren Buffett said, and I'm going to butcher it, he says, and I'm going to put my twist on it to make it relatable to the kids. Someone is sitting in the shade today, i.e. them in brackets, because I planted a tree a long time ago. Appreciate the work you both do. My 16-year-old cousin came to me the other day and asked about investing. I told him to listen to your pods. I thought to myself, what 16-year-old would be interested in finance? Which was amazing, as this was from his own motivation in learning about money. Very cool. A shout-out, too, to a group of friends who got me into the world of investing. They know who they are as they listen to your podcast as well. Full on. Cheers from Singh. So that's a really, really cool question, mate. I like, I like that one a lot. I'll get to the, um, the 16-year-old and the, and the quote in a minute. Um, I'll give my thoughts up front, mate, because I've been the one most vocal about Vanguard, but I'm happy to hear your thoughts. Um, so generally, I, BlackRock is, is great. Um, they, they do a fantastic job. There are plenty of ETF providers around the world. BlackRock's number one. Vanguard's number two. Are both very, 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 very good. Uh, I have no issue with them at all. My personal view on the Vanguard, why I prefer Vanguard, is simply because that if I'm going to hold an ETF for 20, 30, 40 years, and maybe longer as you hope for, saying, then I want to, if I have to sell it at some point and buy another ETF, I've got to pay capital gains on all of that. So I don't, I don't want to have to sell if I'm buying an ETF for a super long term. And if that's the starting point, so let's start with that. I hope to not have to sell ever, certainly not at a time of not of my own choosing. Then you say, okay, well, which fund manager would you feel most comfortable with if you're making a multi-decade commitment? And my view personally, and I could be entirely wrong about this, is that Vanguard is a not-for-profit fund manager. The funds are actually owned by the investors themselves. And so there's simply a higher likelihood to my mind that I'll have fewer reasons to sell Vanguard then I might have to sell BlackRock. Now, BlackRock might end up being cheaper. They might end up being better, all sorts of things. So I could be entirely wrong. But generally speaking, if I've got a choice of putting some money in a not-for-profit fund manager for 50-plus years or a for-profit fund manager 50-plus years, given Vanguard's already big, super long-term, they're the originator of, of index funds in the first place, they've got every incentive to keep prices low rather than BlackRock, which has a profit incentive and they're entitled to have that profit incentive. The Motley Fool's a for-profit business, so straw man. Um, but that's why I, that's why I prefer... That's why I prefer Vanguard. Um, what are your thoughts, mate, on the different ETF providers? And we'll get the ETF specifically. All the major ones, it's much a muchness. You know, yep. the, 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 the differences are very, um, what's the word for it? Inconsequential. There, yes. there are differences, but it's, it's like I say, I feel as though we, we get to the point where we're really just, <laughs> you know, yeah. by the time, if you've made the, the decision to, um, invest for the long term and and continually top up a broad-based low-cost etf you've, you've yeah. done it every yeah. every every, yeah, exactly. every other decision past that point is just a, yeah. a tiny tiny little fiddle and you know in when 30 years time when we look back will there be a difference between some of these ones yeah will it be significant no even if you got the worst one are you going to be upset no so you know you've you, yeah i i, I don't I, I think when you've got one of the major providers, very well backed, um, 
FDIC insured in the US or whatever, you know, all the usual protections around it. I, I think I think you're pretty much good to go. Yeah, nicely put. Mate, the ETF question is interesting though, the individual ETF. And I guess this is why Singh's asking the question because he's saying, well, I found another ETF I like, but it's not a Vanguard one. So is it okay? I think we're both saying, yep, yeah, completely fine. Um, the This one's though, it's, it's a global 100. Uh, so 100 top stocks. Vanguard's global uh, ETF is a 1500 company uh, ETF. So it's slightly different there. I don't know the BlackRock um, ETF particularly well. So I can't tell you for sure what the difference might be, but it seems like... That seems like the major difference. The question of whether you want to be concentrated or not concentrated among the top 100 mm. or whether you instead want to take the, the top um, 1,500 or so. Probably probably much of a much of this, but I guess there is a question of how long the tail is and what maybe that does to, or how that, how that works for... Um, uh, you know, for individual investments, I guess if you you know you're leaving out some, the two hundred to three hundred company might be great or terrible. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, for what's worth, the management fee of the Vanguard products point one eight, iShares is point four. So that's this is the BlackRock one. So there's a difference there. Twice as expensive. Um, yeah, which again for this for a similar ish performance, if that's what you get, that's what you get. Ten uh, year total return on the BlackRock one has been fifteen point three three percent for the Vanguard one. Scrolling here as I talk. Uh, oh, come on, guys. They put them in different spots. <laughs> um, no, I kind of easily find the ten-year return on this one, so I'll have to come back to it. Um, that's really the major, the major changes, mate. Do you have a, do you have a thought? I, I probably lean more to the. I think by the time you've made a decision to go broad-based ETF, then go broad. You know, like yeah. something that's got fifty or hundred. I, look, it just seems a little too tight for that kind of strategy. The, the history is is always a useful guide and. Um, what you will find when you look at the, the major market indices is that I forget the exact number, but the lion's share of the gains is is underwritten mm-hmm. by a, ha- a small handful of stocks. Yes, yes. And usually the biggest stocks in any given period. Uh, I mean, there's a bit of churn there as, as new technologies come and go, and as as the economy evolves and changes. And so, I would the reason why I'd like the broader one is I just think you cast a wider net. You've got more of a chance mm. to have the net the next google or something that's that's within all of that uh, again i don't it, it it may well be that the the, <laughs> the top 100 of a 1500 stock portfolio makes up 89 percent of the weighting anyway so you know it it's it's not likely to be materially different but i would urge, yep. i would uh, i would urge, like honestly for something that's that long i would go for the lower cost and i would prefer a little bit wider diversification there you go I cannot improve on your answer, mate. I, that's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. So we're, we're good with that. Uh, by the way, seeing great work with your cousin and Seng's mates who are listening. Thank you for listening. Thank you for putting Seng onto the podcast. And as always, if you like what we're doing, tell your friends. Um, all right, here's one from Cam who says, G'day, Scott. And I can't forget Ram, who was feeling a bit left out in some recent episodes. <laughs> Thank you, Cam. <laughs> I've listened to the show over the past few years. I finally have a question for the podcast machine. To frame the question, see, they like the podcast machine, Ram. They do. I, know, I know you think I'm, I know you think I'm anachronistic, but I, I like the podcast yeah, machine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to frame the question, he says, <laughs> I'm 26. Yes, I can feel your rage already. You absolutely can. And my wife is 24. We purchased a house a few years ago after lots of hard work and saving during our late teens and early 20s. Well done, mate. We also have a portfolio with a few ETFs and a few individual businesses. You know what I love about that? He didn't say stocks in businesses, which I always love. love. That's one of my favorites. Which we uh, we have and we believe uh, will continue to perform well over the next 50 to 60 years. Imagine having that long. Bastards. Our investing don't have, thesis don't have is to like. Imagine. I that. <laughs> oh, you're kidding, aren't you? <laughs> Mate, we are. We are. We are long I'll gone. Be, I'll be right. uploaded to the cloud, my friend. I'll not <laughs> exactly. gone anyway. <laughs> On the blockchain. Yep. Um, our investing thesis is like many buy and hold quality businesses. I have since sparked an interest in commercial property, but due to the higher barriers to entry, I'm looking at residential investment opportunities instead to complement our portfolio. What I can't, for the life of me, understand is why people would want to negatively gear their investments. I get there are tax benefits and the likes. However, as my dad always told me, if you're paying a lot of tax, you're earning a lot of money. I just can't get my head around why I wouldn't positively gear my investments. If you could offer some clarity, that'd be brilliant. Thanks, and as always, full on. That's from Cam. I'm going to throw this one to you first, mate. You're our resident property expert. <laughs> uh, I, was, I, was, I was lamenting to you uh, off air before. So everyone, everyone assumes they hate property. I love prop- property. Is great. I just, I just, you know, I think some of the prices are a little bit crazy. In the same way that I don't own CSL shares, I think it's a great business, and I think property as an asset class is a wonderful asset class. 
But, you, um, but really, you hate. But would I would I be buying a depreciating <laughs> asset at fifty times uh, sales uh, and and yielding negative real term yields? No, probably not. So that, that's that's the issue here. Um, I agree with Cam, and I agree with Cam's dad. I've always thought that if you're actively intentionally losing money to avoid paying tax, <laughs> I mean, you need your head read. Yeah. Now, it might be yeah. different if it's a timing thing, where it's like, well, I'm actually I'm kind of just sort of losing money in this period, but I'll make a lot more down the track. So that, that's that's a different story. But just intentionally, consistently losing money to avoid tax is just stupid. You know, like they. they Think about what you're doing here. Even if you're on the very, very <laughs> highest rate of tax, you're still keeping half of it, right? So, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. you, you, you... Right? Yeah, totally, totally. So, for every you, dollar, you, you're saying, I don't want that dollar of profit because I only get to keep 50 cents of it. Yeah, but you get 50 cents yeah. of... Like, it's better than zero, right? Like, I'm not saying you should be happy about paying a high rate of tax, but anyway, uh, if, you, if I... Look, if you don't get that point, then I don't know what to tell you. Um, yeah, negative gearing is a um, strategy that... The reason it made sense for a while and why so many people continue to think it makes sense is that they <laughs> feel as that the loss that they are making in any given year will be more than offset by the eventual capital gain. Mm-hmm. And so when, when all the dust settles and you look at, well, I lost all this money, actually lost money on a cash flow basis in this particular year, but it did save me a bunch of tax. And then of all the money that I quote unquote lost, I made up for and more eventually when I sold and got to take advantage of a capital gains tax discount and the rest of it, it can be a very, a very favorable strategy, very favorable strategy. But the trouble with it is, is that it only works when there's a sufficient increase in the capital gain. So people will be screaming at the podcast machine going, no, no, yeah, duh, that, but you know, property always goes up. It goes up, it's, you know, doubles every seven years or whatever the, the meme is. Like, okay, if that's what you think, then, then go for it. But be aware that you don't have to talk about property crashes or corrections or anything like that. If, you're, if property just goes up at, uh, gosh, even 2 3% per annum, uh, depending on how you're structured and how you're geared, there's a very real chance that you'll actually lose-lose in, 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 all, in all ways. Um, so, so it, it is, it is a, it is an aggressive strategy, which mm-hmm. only makes sense where you've got not just capital gains, but material capital gains. Mm-hmm. I, I would say you need to, you need to be expecting, gosh, and again, it depends on how highly leveraged you are on the rate of interest you're paying yes, and the yes. rest of it. Yep. But I, I, you know, for, for, for me, I would have to be rock solid confident on at least five, six, 7% annual gain over the life of the property because otherwise it just, it's just, it's dumb. Frankly, yeah. Uh, it, it, so I, I, I'm going to talk about some of my math for a second. Um, the the so negatively geared. So let, let's take the tax out for a second, right? Negatively geared just means it's costing you more than it's making you. You are you are you are paying more than you're getting back. So in in in, in shock, you know, in, in without without debt or sorry, without tax, uh, it's costing you a thousand dollars a week to pay the mortgage, and you're getting seven hundred dollars a week in rent you are going back as by 300 bucks a week. And that ordinarily would seem like a stupid thing to do. And I'm going to suggest that it isn't as bad as it seems for one particular reason. That's, let's say I'm investing in shares and I'm investing $1,000 a week in shares and I'm getting $700 a week worth, a week worth of uh, dividends. I'm still going back as by 300 bucks a week. So in that context, the idea of outlaying more than you're getting back as you build a portfolio of assets is it not only is not a stupid idea, it's actually exactly what everyone does forever, forever, forever. You know, uh, the dividends I'm going to get this year are less than I'm going to put, I'm going to invest this year in, for my personal portfolio, my, you know, my, my portfolio. At some point, I hope that turns around, of course, because we got, I'm building something that I hope is going to compound at a nice rate and the income's going to grow at a nice rate. And eventually, not only am I going to start getting back more than I put in, which is positively geared in this, in this example, uh, but hopefully over the time, it's going to be much, much more than that. And I'm going to make some capital gains, as Ram says. So I think at, at a cash flow level, if you take out the idea of the, the, the gearing word or the, sorry, not the, gear, the, the tax implication and just say, does it make sense to put more into an asset than you're getting back from that asset in the short term? The answer is yes, almost always. As long as the asset's a good quality asset, of course, there's some rubbish you shouldn't invest in no matter what return you're getting. So I think, I think that's, you know, we need to be a little bit careful about how we consider that. What I think, the other, out of the other side of my mouth, Cam, to your point and to Andrew's point is, the, the stupidest conversation in the world, and I've got to say this very, well, I've already said it, so there you go. Listeners who've had this conversation, I apologize in advance, don't hate me, uh, is when you go to the accountant and say, hey, Jenny, 
how can I pay less tax? And Jenny says, aha, what you can do is you can borrow money to buy an overpriced property and not get much rent for it. Oh, brilliant, I'll save a fortune in tax. That's a great idea. And so I think it's, 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 the, it's the way you frame what we're doing. Buying a stupidly overpriced asset with not enough income just for a tax deduction is as every bit as stupid as Ram said, and frankly, he was polite about it. It's even more stupid than that. So, you know, that's what I'm talking about both sides of my mouth. I think we need to be a little bit careful. Paying off a, a, an investment property versus either either saving regularly for shares or even borrowing on a margin loan for shares is no, is no different because the asset's different. As Andrew says, he doesn't hate particular asset classes. Um, it's just whether or not that particular asset class or the individual asset itself, frankly, there are bad shares and good shares. There's probably good and bad properties, I'm sure. I'm no expert. Um, so yeah, long answer, long answer, Cam. But I think I just wanted to make that, that point that there's nothing wrong with having ca- net cash outflows in an investment portfolio, whichever way you do it. As long as what you're building towards is a a good return in quality assets that pay you eventually, either in capital gains or income or both, you know, meaningful amounts more. That's why we that's why we forego consumption. That's what saving is. Every every dollar of saving is consumption foregone. Uh, the tax thing skews the entire conversation for exactly the reasons you suggested and Rams highlighted. Any on that, mate? I, I know that's a bit of a roundabout way of talking about it. And do you have any? Do you have any issues with my analogy? Yeah, I, I, I there is, there's the turkey phenomena. I, I guess I just, I would point <laughs> Not the to. Which, we're past Thanksgiving. We're, which is just the idea. I mean, it's a very, <laughs> it, on, on a, from a first principles basis, coming into it cold. If you're speaking to someone from overseas who wasn't familiar with it, I think it all kind of, you know, it's, it's sort of like the, the pros and cons of it seem more obvious. But I think yeah, for true. us in Australia, we only <laughs> see the pros. And I well, think not all of us, but yes, I know what you mean. Yeah, Culturally. It, it, it's, yeah. it's hard not to because whatever cautions you may put forward, <laughs> the truth of the matter, the historical fact yeah, is yeah. that it has worked phenomenally well. The strategy yeah. to employ, you know, for the last 20 years has been to borrow to the eyeballs and lose as much money as you can on the way through. And then mm. bank a big capital gain, wash, rinse, and repeat. That's, that has been absolutely the strategy. Yeah. Now, so why wouldn't you, right? <laughs> why why exactly, wouldn't yeah. you do it? Now, it's not like yeah. oh, I worked for a few years and then it stopped. It's just consistently kind of worked yeah. at, at large. And so when someone yeah. gets up there and goes, oh, it's a bit silly. And you go, well, wait a second. I've got this really smart financial planner and my tax consultants. But everyone's been telling me to do it. They all do it. They've all saved a fortune mm. in tax and they've all built incredible yeah. wealth out of it. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's, it's, it's not too dissimilar from the person who decides to trade penny stocks uh, on leverage and does really well over 10 years. <laughs> and then you go, well, it seems yeah. a little bit risky. No, it's, no, it's not. Look, look how well, much look money I made. It's like, yeah, there's a history of silent evidence that's out there. It's funny enough, I was speaking to someone recently um, from Perth and, you know, waxing lyrical as I do about property. And I was like, <laughs> dude, it, this has happened here. Like prices are basically where they were in 2014 in Perth. Mm. Mm. when the mining uh, industry really rolled over there. So you've had someone there who's like, man, I've held my property for eight years and all I've mm. done is bleed cash and I don't even yeah. have a capital gain to make up for it. So this, mm-hmm. so if we want to talk about historical record and, and like examples of close to home, it doesn't always work. Yeah. And so yeah. I don't want to encourage people to do it or not to do it. Yeah, I mean, you do you. Again, this is, I'm all care, no responsibility mm. here. <laughs> right? Because <laughs> I, I don't, I just, I don't well, have the energy dark, to get into debates with yeah. people who feel very passionately about this. So the only... The only, the only thing I would say is just be aware that if you take a, a broader historical context, you look outside of our local mm. market, there are lots and lots and lots and lots of examples where this is the exact wrong strategy to apply. So to yeah. think that it always works and that it's no risk and that it's just, it's, it's it, you know, yes. a guarantee is just reckless. And I would, I would just caution you to, to think, you know, there's no guarantees in investing and, and, and the more leverage you are into it, the more preparedness you have to, to lose money along the way for some eventual, you know, um, uh, payout down the track. It just, it just, it's just, and particularly where we are, and you've got to have, everyone will have their own view and my views aren't a secret when to, where we are on that <laughs> overall cycle. I think when you've got prices, which are basically where on a whether you want to measure it against income, whether you want to measure it against GDP, whether you want to benchmark it against rent or debt or whatever, basically at Japanese levels before they thing rolled over. That doesn't mean it couldn't double from here, but it just that rubber band is very tight. And to employ that strategy now in a rising interest rate environment 
when people when you know there's just a growing disconnect between what you're able to get from rent versus everything else it just, it just, i'm i wouldn't be doing it and and that's all i'll say i guess <laughs> i like it yeah i i just, I, just listen, I, I i i'm not interested in the asset i just want to just the, the cash flow differences we talk about them differently we talk about a gearing is borrowing by definition and you know the, the reasons you might negatively gear a, a property portfolio are the same reasons people might borrow to buy shares. We've talked about that as well in the past. Um, you know, I, I think the, the reason you would negatively, and frankly, probably back to the question, the reason you would do it is if you expected the long term return to be greater than the interest. Yeah, that, that, that's mathematically that is just a very very straight simple answer. That's um, yeah, that's exactly it. And you know, and, and that's and that's fine. Like it's completely appropriate. So what, that's why you do it. If you think a property is going to give you a better return that's going to cost you interest, you should do it. If you think shares going to give you a better return, you should do it. And then I'm going to make a very big pause and say, but I wouldn't do it with shares because the bank can margin call you. And I'd be very careful with property because if the returns don't add up the way you want, we've seen people who've had that challenge. They bought property two years ago. We talked about Governor Lowe's apology on Friday. Um, you know, <laughs> oops, now you're in trouble. So mm. just be just be really careful across the board. Um, but to your, your point, game, if you can... Po- why, would, why wouldn't you positive the gear instead? Well, you would accept if the returns total are going to be less. So if I could negatively gear, if I if I could if I could, I'm just gonna try to pick some numbers up around. If I could if I could put a thousand thousand dollars down now, negatively gear something that's worth a million dollars in ten years time, I should do it every day. Mm. If I could positively gear an investment that went from a thousand dollars now to twelve hundred dollars in ten years time, then I probably wouldn't bother. Mm. So again, why wouldn't you? The answer would be because the value creation isn't just about today's cash flows. Back to the property example, frankly, with borrowing, it's not about today's cash flows at all. Um, you know, I so said I'm putting a lot, a lot more money aside than I'm getting back from my investment. I'm not negative the gear, it's not borrowing to do it, but I'm my, my cash flow is negative into my portfolio right now because I think I'm going to generate return over the long term. Yeah. Hey, um, let's go for a question from Paul who says, "G'day, Andrew. Love your work and hope you are well." Oh, and some other guy. What's his name? <laughs> I love it. You bastard, Paul. <laughs> I love it. That, that's Paul Page. Is it, is it Uncle Paul or, or, or brother Paul or? <laughs> Just no? could, could be a pseudonym for me. Yeah, maybe I. Yeah, maybe well, I actually, I, I, yeah, I've got to be more careful with that sort of stuff. I should agree with that. Ha ha, jokes, of course, he says. Just try to spread the love a bit more evenly. Thank you, mate. I will say, in Andrew's defence, uh, I give out my uh, my details for uh, as the as the contact parts. So it makes sense people address them to me because I'm the person who's going to be getting them. So uh, don't 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 feel unloved, Andrew. It's just the just the nature of the <laughs> nature of the beast. Here's my general question. Apologies if it's simplistic, but I'm a simple man, says Paul. You're in good company. Would a sum of money be better utilised in a bank account that is offset against a very rate mortgage rather than invested in a stock market that has a good chance to remain bearish for the foreseeable future he says brackets notwithstanding foreseeable being a contradiction in terms with regard to the market close bracket i realize that inflation also eats away at cash value but if i'm paying 5.23 percent on the variable portion of my mortgage i can use cash to pay next to nothing in interest or i can invest the cash hoping to get more than a 5.23 percent return brackets with the rate odds on uh, the interest rates odds on to rise even more in the future hope this makes sense it's not just another version of timing the market thanks for all your work paul kind of is paul <laughs> can i tell you honestly mate it's a, it kind of is but it's kind of not there is a there's a there is a, a a perennial question and then there is a timing question and i think those things are different because it comes down to so here's the thing i will say not to embarrass you paul this question is about a month old and uh, between in the month of November, uh, the market went up six percent. <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah, that, uh, I, I don't say I say that in a bit to poke a little bit of good-natured fun, Paul. Uh, but also as a reminder of the market kind of wasn't bearish at least over that period of time. Now it could it could fall another fifteen percent tomorrow morning for all we know. Um, so you know, I'm not I'm not suggesting you're wrong, mate, or you or I, I knew better, or you didn't know, or anything like that. Your uh, your very point in brackets notwithstanding the foreseeable being a contradiction in terms is exactly what I would say is the issue. Um, do you agree or disagree, Andrew? No, I mean that's yeah. Uh, what I what I do like about the um, using the free cash flow you generate to reduce your debt or at least pop it in an off, offset account is that it's a guaranteed return. Yeah. So this uh, and a tax free return too, by the way. Yep, guaranteed tax free. So is it the sexiest return in the world? No, <laughs> but it's guaranteed and it significantly de-risks you as well. Um, so I, I've I've got a great deal of appeal to it there's people i know who just like every last cent they just throw at that mortgage because they just want to they just want to be debt free and then and you and you can kind of see the return that they get is it in the sense that look at your your own personal budget 
and take it out rent or take out the mortgage repayments and see how much richer you are each week. <laughs> you know, like it's massive. Yeah. I look with great envy on an older generation who are, who are living rent-free or mortgage-free because, mm. you know, all of a sudden the, the income required to sustain a pretty decent standard of living is actually not that much. Mm. For, mm. for a lot of people, um, depending on the demographic and the rest of it, you know, it, 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 is, it is by far and away the largest expense and so minimizing, minimizing, doing everything you can to minimize that expense and reduce any sort of risk that you might have is, I, I think, actually a pretty sensible thing. And then you'll find yourself one day where the, the, the gearing is so low or you're completely debt-free. It's like, hey, now I've got all, now what do I do with my cash? Well, now, now you can invest it. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, at the same time, at the same time, um, Paul's 100% right. It's like, well, but if I can get 10% in the market, I'm still better yeah. off doing that. It's like, yeah, you are. Yeah. Absolutely, you are. And, and, and I, I would say- on the provisor that you're leveraged, you're not too highly leveraged. That's actually something I would very much consider uh, as someone who's who's long-term bullish on on equities. Um, so you can have your cake and eat it too here. You can actually you can actually do a little bit of both. It's not, it has to be all or one, but I know, hopefully it's trying to paint out some of the considerations there. I, I, it's hard. It it is there is no right answer here. It is a personal yeah. decision, and, and yeah. you just got to know the compromises you're taking. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. Um, I yeah. a couple of things. Um, think about the compound return of the money over a long period of time. Um, a five percent return now versus a multi-decade return invested, which doesn't mean you can't invest next year. But just think about that. There is a there is there is a, a version of the maths which talks about you know if you get five percent every year, um, you do well. If you get 7% every year, you'll do meaningfully better. If you do 10% a year, you'll do extraordinarily well. Mm. And if you think about what the market might do over an extended period of time, any money put into the market, you know, even in some years it will do worse, some years do a little bit better, some years might do a lot better. Over time, if the historical return of the market remains, the dollar value of that in 20, 30, 40 years will be massive. So just think about just not one year, but but the compound value of that. And I think one thing we don't, it's hard in a podcast, right? We don't have pictures. But if you look at the, 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 the returns of 5%, to seven percent, uh, it's not just a it's not just a moderate difference, not just a forty percent difference between five and seven. Right, the compound value of that is extraordinary. The difference between seven and ten is then even more extraordinary again, uh, over over you know long long periods, thirty five forty years. So it's just it's I actually completely agree with you, Ram, and, and and frankly at you know right now I probably given rates might go up again, and depending on your circumstances, um, the after tax return if if rates go if you're paying six percent all of a sudden. What's that? Nine percent before tax. I mean, that that's pretty close, right? All I would say is, for anybody using the offset, um, do you you need to make a deal with yourself? In my opinion, which is, I will leave it in the offset now, but once the once the mortgage is paid off, I will put even more than that into investing forever after that, because that's the only way this works. If you pay your house off quicker, and then go and splurge the rest on a new car and holidays every year, you still end up with no money, <laughs> nothing in your portfolio. In that circumstance, you would have been better. And this is the issue with offsets I have is that they, you know, the banks love them because people take money back out of them because they can. Um, if, if you don't commit to... The same as by the way, you and I have this conversation regularly around about renting versus owning, right? And the total mm. compound returns of the difference there. You can rent for cheaper than you can buy if you put that money in a, in a you know, long-term returning investment asset like shares, you will probably have more money if you rented and invested rather than if you just bought. Except the people don't. They rent... And then take the savings and spend them. <laughs> so you've got to know you're going to hold yourself accountable to that. Part of me likes it's what why part of me likes investment properties because you're you're obliged to pay that off every month. You can't decide this month I'm going to buy the jeans instead or go on the holiday or maybe reduce my my investing because I want to do X, Y, and Z. You're obliged every single month. You're you're committed, and at, at the end of the process, as long as you haven't gone broke in the meantime, you will own an asset outright that's worth you know high six, low seven figures. It's a very good thing to have been forced to do. That's why I like mortgages, again, rather than renting. Not not instead of necessarily, but the, one of the advantages is the same thing. You're forced to pay off your own home so that in 30 years' time, you own it, for better or worse. Um, was it the best possible return you could have got? No, but you own your home. So there's those things. Now, Andrew is renting and he's disciplined enough to put a lot of money aside and, and build his portfolio. And if you can be like Andrew, be like Andrew. It, it's, a, <laughs> it's a financially better outcome. Um, but if, you know, so if you're going to do the offset thing, do it. Just, just, do yourself, promise me you'll do yourself a favor and commit to, once it's done, putting that extra money into something that's going to compound. Because if you don't do that, it's almost the worst of both worlds in my mind. Mm. Is, that too, is that too strong, Ray? No, 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 I endorse that. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. 
Uh, question from this is an interesting one too. Um, now I don't know how to pronounce his name. N i c h a l e Nikhail Nikhail Nikhail. I don't know. Good morning, mm. she says. First, a shout out for what appears to be uh, a complex and out of reach, easy to understand. Oh, sorry, for making what appears to be complex and out of reach, easy to understand and interesting. Thank you. The nature of my industry has the same qualities. That's law. We use Latin, long convoluted sentences and judgments housed in large expensive buildings controlled by mature, white, wealthy males to make the concept of law appear out of reach to the common person. <laughs> I think she's nailed that. She's nailed finance too. Nailed it. Thus justifying large bills. You make investing easy for the person with common knowledge and little time. So thank you. Thanks. Appreciate it. My question. Each fortnight, Payday, once bills are paid, I invest about 500 bucks in the Australian share market using Perla, one of the brokerage apps I use as well, for both myself and my two young kids aged three and seven. I currently have about $20,000 invested. Well done, good start. To be diverse, how many companies should one invest in? Also, will investing actually make a significant difference for my family in 20 to 30 years or is it better to buy the children an investment unit? Couple of big questions there, mate. Uh, mm. First one first. How many? How diverse? What, what, what's the? What is the new diversification rule these days? So it actually came up on Strawman recently. We, people were posting some different bits of research and whatnot that they'd found, and it, like you'll you'll see variation depending on who's done the study. But what you find yeah. is is that the the benefits of diversification really stro- start to drop precipitously beyond about 20 stocks. In other words, mm. if you've got 20 stocks or just say 20 different investments, the the additional, the reduction in risk you get from adding 21, 22, 23 is, is very small. And you could then add an extra 100 and the difference in risk. <laughs> and they measure risk in a funny way. They These are academics and they talk, they think volatility oh. is risk, which I fundamentally Doesn't disagree matter. with. Um, yep. but, but, you know, they need something to measure. Um, uh, so... Yeah, I look. I, 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 in fact, it's um, it's hard to do in in verbal form. But the, um, if you look at that chart, you see if you've got one stock, then the risk is as high as it can it can get, and then two, pretty much halves, and then three, and you just see this this curve drop, and then this big long fat tail each out. But it that where it where it asymptotes. Uh, I think that's the right word. Is is even I don't know what that word means. It, it just sort of like trends towards. Um, okay. Uh, the low, the, what you would call systemic risk or just market risk, like the kind of risk you can't diversify away because you own the entire market at that mm, point in mm. time. But you tend, like, even with ten stocks, you tend to get like eighty percent of the way there. Um, so, I, I, I agree with Buffett, which is always a safe ground to stand on. Um, <laughs> yes. Which, which is he, he uses the term diversification, and at a certain point, it becomes worse because while while extreme diversification will protect you from the negative effects of any one investment blowing up, it likewise, quote unquote, protects you from any one that happens to knock it out of the park. So if I've got 100 stocks and one 10 bags, it doesn't actually make much of a difference. I mean, it makes a difference. It's like you'll take it, right? But it doesn't, it doesn't really move the dial. So you, got, you kind of tend to protect yourself from, from very favorable mm. movements as well. Not only that, you've got, you've got a lot of homework to do that's a lot of companies to keep uh, on top of and i think you need to take stay on top of things now it, it's different if you're talking about a very broad-based etf where i just i'm 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 just intentionally deciding to take the invest in the market you know or as broadly defined as that is practically possible to do that's different and you just basically say well there's no work to do because it's just the market I know that I'm going to have maximum diversification, so I'm never going to get the incredible returns, but I'm going to get the average, and I know the average is really decent, so that's fine. But it's kind of, if you're going to go that way, do that. There's no there's no point in you building a portfolio yourself of 48 different companies with all the work and tax and hassle and stuff that you have to go around that when you just buy one instrument and takes care of the lot straight away. So um, yeah, ho- hopefully that answers the question. Yeah, love that, mate. Um, I don't have much to add. I don't think uh, I. You can. So, what the only thing I would say is you can use ETFs to kind of then reduce the number of companies you actually need to own in that context of a diversification, right? So, mm. 20 twenty-ish, twenty-five gives you maximum diversification. But if you were to put a portion of your money into ETFs, you probably have I don't know seven, eight, ten, and and at a portfolio level, have something similar, just almost by definition. So, not not entirely, but there's some there's some there's some value in that. I think in terms of just thinking that through. If you own if you own an ETF, yeah. In terms of whether you buy a, a unit or not, uh, we kind of just talked about that 
you didn't obviously know this, Nicole. Nichelle, sorry, I mispronounced your name. Um, when it comes to, you didn't know what question we're going to answer. Uh, but we have kind of just mentioned the uh, the whole property versus share thing, the the um, the returns. I think I think it, if you're look, you're in law. I, I'm going to assume you're at least a little bit familiar with with spreadsheets. Maybe you're not. Um, but just you can put them side by side in a spreadsheet, and it just it kind of shows you the what cash you would be outlaying. Uh, it's not the easiest thing to do on a spreadsheet. It's certainly not the hardest thing to do though. Um, just work out what 20, 30 years might look like. And it, and it gives you a sense of what sort of gains you would need of what sort of time. Um, I literally did this. My wife and I have, have talked on and off. I've said this before about maybe looking at investment property at some point. And thus far, we went, we did the numbers, uh, particularly with prices high. I've got a spreadsheet which just has, you know, okay, well, if we put this much in the market and got this average return, uh, or if we put this much in repayments and then had to borrow this much, put this much deposit in and got that return, um, what would what would the numbers have to look like after 20 or 30 years? And I've done exactly this work. And... I couldn't get to a point without assuming, I think, unreasonable gains in property prices that made property more attractive than, than shares. So we've stuck with shares. Now I'm a shares guy, but I'm not. I'm not stupid. If there's more money to be made somewhere else, I'm not gonna. I'm not. You know, I, I like shares. I understand shares. Uh, they work for me. Um, shares are great, but. I, I, I promise you, if I thought there was a way to make some more money doing something else, I like money more than I like pretending I'm, I'm a shares guy only and I have some weird ideological obsession with shares. Um, I joined the Motley Fool because I learned about shares and it seemed like it made sense. That's I didn't start with shares and say, can I, can I justify myself? It was exactly the other way around. So uh, I'd, I'd happily buy an investment. I'd, I'd share my, my entire portfolio to buy an investment property if I found a, a good enough one that was you know worth, worthwhile because I just care about making money, right? I just I don't care. The, the companies don't care whether I own them. The property doesn't care whether I own it. Um, the only that matters is the cash you get from it so uh, i'm not biased I, I can't i haven't been able to yet now i haven't done the numbers in about 18 months maybe and now rates have gone up so that makes the the the, the you know the gap larger the negatively geared gap as we talked about before but if property prices keep coming down and i think that rates are going to eventually moderate and start to go back down at some point there is absolutely a scenario into which i might buy a property uh, but not not yet so but do them do them as yourself uh, for me having done the work i'm happily still invested in shares um I would change my mind if the numbers changed. Yeah. I'll, I'll put an ad in for, well, I think an unappreciated benefit of shares is mm. that it's because it's, it's, well, it feels more abstract, you know, there's, yes. you buy them and it sits on a, on a chess database somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have a real estate agent calling you because the tap's broken. <laughs> you can't drive past it. Yeah, such yeah, and such yeah. missed the rent. <laughs> or that the walls need painting or someone's filled something on the carpet or just or the, the, they're moving out and you need to advertise it again. And it just there's a lot of I think people mm. because it has been this sort of really seen as the only viable way the average person can make a serious investment and get ahead. We, we mm. and we hear the positive stories you, you forget. And any anyone out there who's a landlord, I know we've got a lot of them listening here, will be nodding along furiously going, oh my gosh, yes, it, there's, there is there is a headache to be had with all of this. The great thing about it when you buy shares, I think, is that um, I've basically just said, yeah, I want, I want to have an ownership of this business, but I just don't want to run it. And I don't want anything mm. to, like you guys, you guys continue doing what you're doing. And uh, I get to sit here with a cocktail in my hand and, you know, there's, there, it, there is, yeah, it's yeah. just easy. It's so know, easy, you know, and yeah. I, and I, I'll, I'll pick a little bit. Um, again, I don't want to generalize too much, but you know, the amount of, the amount of, um, and I say this has been, have, as someone who's been a long-term renter, the number of landlords we've had who just like exasperated that things break, you know, in their house is, it's just, you know, like, oh, I wasn't factoring this. I've actually had a real estate agent saying, oh, they weren't factoring in these expenses. Like, uh, well, I, I, I was factoring in having a hot shower this morning. So get it done, my friend. You know, it's not like we're yeah. having meth yeah. parties in the laundry when we're tearing it. Like, you know, Anymore. there yeah. are reasonable expectations and, and obligations <laughs> to be fulfilled. And I'm just saying be aware of that because it's, it's not always smooth sailing. Yeah, no, I, I actually, I, I agree. I, I, did, I haven't owned an investment property for years. I have one with a mate. Oh, God, I, I'm just old, so it could have been 20 years ago for all I know. Uh, for, for a few years. Mm-hmm. Hey? Should have kept it. Oh, dear, tell me. Mate, the, my, my, you know my greatest financial mistakes? I've moved house five times. I think houses I've owned or have mortgages over. Um, if you add up the dollar value of that, yes, it would have been, you could have kept all five. The mortgage, the repentance eventually killed you, but seriously, I wouldn't be working now. Yeah. If I just, if I just not sold the ones I moved out of, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't even want to talk about it. Yeah. I, don't want I to mean, that, isn't that, isn't that interesting in what we were talking about before? So that's absolutely mm. what you could have done. 
but that 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 is a regret in our current yes. um, version of the multiverse yeah. because <laughs> everything's gone up. For you to do that, you would have had to yeah. take on higher and higher and higher debt. And if there was ever ever any sort of yeah. washout along the way, you had zero. Like it just it all went away very very quickly yeah. as it as it unwound. So it's kind of yeah. like yeah, you you could have. I mean, I, I could have put everything mm-hmm. into into Bitcoin when it was a hundred dollars each and and yeah. and be literally a hundred millionaire today. But mm-hmm. but was that a smart thing to do in two thousand and ten? I don't I don't know if it, you know. Even with the history that we know, it's just like it was very hard to 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 bank on that that particular kind of outcome, mm-hmm. and and you don't you don't always see the risk in in hindsight. So I go easy on yourself with that, but yeah, you should have kept it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but anyway, I've I've sucked you there. Bang, got me. Yes, no, that is unfortunately the story, mate. Uh, it's uh, it was it was pretty ugly, but yeah, no, and you're right, and that's all. Uh, honestly, and if I had more now, and the and rates had gone up now, and I, they were, oh they are probably lose a lot. So it's there's always there's always Always a well, not always. There can always uh, often be a sting in the tail. Mm. So that's that's very very mm. true. Mate, we've got time for for one more. This one comes from Trash. Don't have a name, so Trash is the part of the uh, Instagram handle. So let's go with that. Dear Scott, thank you for sharing your insights and your passion. My daughter has started working as a fourteen year old. She grasps the concept of saving most of her weekly pay. I'm proud of her, he says, which is awesome. That's I made a deal with her after she told me she wants to spend two thousand one hundred dollars on a new phone partly because she has determined to buy an iPhone 7. But she also has a taste for the nicer things. So the deal is, she saves double, 4200 bucks before she can buy the phone, and the other half must be put into the stock market. Blue chip stocks, I was thinking. At 15, putting 2100 bucks in the stock market, what could that become with some conservative projections? Do you have any recommended stocks for conservative secure growth or dividends in the long term? Thank you in advance. Enjoy your weekend. This from Trash. Um, how cool! I, I quite like that. I got to say, uh, I reckon his daughter's pretty, uh, pretty, pretty good. She's happy to save double to get the phone. I'd be like, "Come on, Dad! I'm, I'm so nervous off the phone. I still can't buy the thing." But if you can get away with it, if you can make it work, I think that's a that's a very, very good. Call. Can I say I love so the well idea? I, I've seen I've seen uh, someone mention it recently. It's like if you can't afford it twice, you can't afford it. And, yeah. And what they're yeah, saying is every time you buy something. You've yes. got to put the equivalent amount into mm-hmm. an ETF or an investment or yeah. whatever you whatever you choose. But I just think what a brilliant way of getting it. It really sets a barrier. So do I real how much do I want this? Do I really mm-hmm. want it? Or is mm-hmm. or is this just like a you know, a um just a passing urge or something yeah. like that? So I think I actually I actually love the idea. Very hard to do, of course, but but just a just a genius idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, love love the idea. Thoughts made us to uh, so so. Firstly, or let, let's let's. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be I'm going to be lazy for a second. Um, the the Vanguard index chart, trash. If you've been listening for any length of time, you would know I, I have a small soft spot for the Vanguard index chart. Uh, and, and the simple reality is that uh, the the returns available over 30 years are about a 13 time return. So the the hypothetical over the last 30 years to the 30th of Jan- June this year. Uh, 10 grand became $130,000 roughly, a little bit more, but close enough to that. So, you know, very simply, and again, we can't, so we can't tell you what the future will hold. Like the market crash could rally, it could go fantastically or terribly. I don't know, you don't know, Andrew doesn't know, nobody knows. Um, and anyone who says they do are lying to you or themselves, as I like to say. So very, very simple maths would be that over 30 years, 2,100 bucks can become $27,300. That's just, that's just if you just simply said, well, that's, that's the long-term return. Um, now, over 40, 50 years, you can you can kind of you know magnify it again from from that point. Um, generally speaking, uh, historically, money's doubled about every seven years from from shares. Um, so if you want another you know 14 years to that until about a 45 year return, you're probably getting to 100 grand. So that might be a nice little number. I mean, hardest part for investing for, for people. I, I joke about you know young people having all the odds and all the opportunities and stuff. And I, I'm, of course I'm kidding, um, but I'm also absolutely not. You know, a 15-year-old, by the time she retires at 65, she'll have 50 years of compounding. If she lives for another 30 years beyond that, she'll have 80 years of compounding to come. I mean, that, 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 is, that, that is a stupidly large amount of money. Um, what's, the, what's the number on that, Ram? So 80 years, seven uh, seven, You've got seven doublings, seven or eight doublings in there. That's more than that, though. It's 11 doublings at that point. Oh, sorry, you're right. Yeah. Oh, it's, so it's what's, what's 11 doublings? What is that? I, mean, I don't even know what that does. It's, it's, two to the pa- it's two to the power of 11. Can you do that for me quickly while uh, I talk? Uh, two. <laughs> I don't know. So what? Research, research. Uh, anyway, uh, so while what, what, what Andrew does that, Trash, the, the hardest part, mate, is 
and, and I'm so glad you already get the, the value of saving because it's two thousand times. There you go, two thousand times your money. So what's that? Two thousand. Oh, two, two, two to the eleven is two thousand. So there you that, go. So that'd be that'd be four point two million dollars. Mm-hmm. That's I mean, you know, two thousand to four point two million dollars. Now eighty five is a long time to wait for the money. Um, I, I'm just I'm just trying to make the point that um, uh, you know. So two things. One is the the combining is astonishingly good. Uh, the harder part is it's really, really hard when you're 15, 20, 25, 30, even 35 for most people to actually think about retirement. It just seems so bloody far away and mm. exponential compounding is so bloody difficult to get your head around that it just it's just really hard. you know. It, it, and so I, I don't know what I'm saying. I, I, I don't want to dissuade you. I don't want to, definitely don't want to dissuade her. I, I think if, you can, if she already th- feels this way and she wants to do it, then she, she should absolutely do it. Why I love superannuation so much is... There's a whole lot of reasons, but frankly, 45-year-olds don't do enough for their super, for their retirement. But you, at, at 18, 20, 25, 30, when you're starting to work, no one, no one wants to put money. If you ask, we know, we know from overseas, we know from pre-superannuation Australia, people don't save for their retirement at those ages. It just doesn't feel like it's important enough. The now, the here, the things I could buy with the money always seem more important, so I spend the money. And that's not a criticism, that's human nature. It's just, it just is, right? It's a, it's a fact. The best thing society has done for us as people and for those people who wouldn't have otherwise done it in particular is to say, I got you. <laughs> Future you will thank me for this. You don't like it right now, but suck it up, princess. It's going to be compulsory. And people hate it and libertarians hate it. And I get all the theory behind it. I get all the, I get all the, you know, the, the conversation. By the way, another mailbag question coming up about this one in a couple of weeks' time. Um, I get the idea, but just like... The, the very idea of being forced to save for our own retirement when we don't care enough, knowing that we will care by the time we get there, is just society doing us a massive, massive favour. Call a nanny state if you want. I really don't care. Um, no interest in the in the kind of, you know, um, the whatever of this stuff. Um, it's just obviously a much, much better option. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's great. In terms, so that, like they're, they're the sort of returns. Hopefully it's given you something to go with. Um, don't promise a $4.2 million, but also if it's, if it's nice to be able to point that out and say, hey, look at this, um, then if that's useful, then by all means, go for it. Um, in terms of what to invest it in, I mean, you know, if you've got an 85-year time horizon, two, there's two things for kids, in my view. I've said this before. I'll make it quickly, then, Rem, you can jump in. Um, there's two ways to think about investing for kids. One is just keep it simple. Just, just wait all on an ETF and let it do its thing for 60 years and just is what it is right simple easy um gets it done there's there is some value in making it boring so it doesn't seem like she doesn't jump on the roller coaster of emotion when the market does what it does or stocks do what they do individual stocks do what they do so that's that's one way to do it uh if i was gonna if i was looking to make it a simple easy dollar cost averaging way to maximize long-term returns i think i'd probably start there for a kid but the other way is entirely the opposite which is to get them interested in investing the the, the power of investing the opportunities of investing the the idea that, that stocks are businesses not just three-letter codes on a screen, buy some stuff that she wants to follow, she likes. Um, she wants to buy an iPhone, buy some shares in Apple. She wants to, you know, you connect it through Telstra, buy some shares in Telstra. You guys shop at Woolies or Meyer or, um, I don't know, uh, LaVisa. She probably uses LaVisa, I would assume, at that age. Um, she probably has used Smiggle before. Smiggle's owned by Premier Investments. There's, you know, if, buy things she can relate to. So she gets the idea of what investing actually is, which is owning small shares of, of real businesses. They can be, I think, super useful ways to think about investing as well. Um, they're, they're two very, very diametrically opposed ideas. Um, for what it's worth, I've said before, my own bloke, I'm putting some money aside for him in a couple of ETFs, just regular investing. But also, uh, now he gets when he earns his money, or he gets pocket money or gifts or whatever else, um, 10% of that has to go into investing. And I've opened up a little uh, shares account, it turns out. Um, I have been paid by shares in the past for the record, uh, but that's not why I did it. Um, and he decided he loves cars. I think I've probably said this before if I ran. Um, so he's bought some shares in Tesla and he's bought some, you have, bought shares Tesla, bought shares other things, just because he, he likes the idea of those businesses. And for me, that's okay. Um, that's some money he can put some money into. He gets the idea. He knows he owns some shares in, in Tesla. When he says Tesla drive past, we talk about the fact he owns shares in the company and that's super useful. So I've got a, I've got a, a foot in both camps, um, but either or both of those I think are perfectly fine. If it's really, you asked about some conservative, long-term, secure growth dividends, then you know if that's genuinely what you're looking for, an ETF style investment's probably the right one. Uh, but just don't miss the opportunity to, um, to to share about what investing actually is as well. Ram, your thoughts? Have I have I rambled long enough? Yeah, I'll do a blatant plug here, just because it's free and it doesn't <laughs> cost you it. anything. But go get get it to sign up a free Strawman account, and you can just paper paper manage the portfolio. Just just something to check in. You don't need a brokerage account, or it's not no you know it's, there's no real money involved, but it, it allows. Yep. Yep. 
it allows it's I just find it really good for, for people trying to teach their kids about this kind of stuff because they nice. can they can just sort of have a, a flavor of the market and you can you can replicate it in real life through your own name if you want if you want to mm-hmm. sort of do that but so that's that's one thing the other thing I wanted to say was um this power of compounding is is incre- crazily powerful but but mm. don't the response I often get from that is oh yeah but that's all good and well if I'm 20 I'm 50 and yeah. and the response to that is Warren Buffett made more than 99% of his money after his 52nd birthday um you know in fact if if Warren Buffett had stopped investing at 50 <laughs> he w- he was worth like a third of a billion dollars he was like 3 or 400 million dollars net worth at, when he was 50. He was a very, very rich man. And he's a very, very rich man because he, up to that point, he'd had 30 years of compounding uh, behind him. But compounding is is such that from the age of 50, now he's like in his 90s, um, he's, he's continued to compound that to the point, point where it's whatever, 90 billion or whatever it is today. So it, it, it's it's you can it's never too late to start. The, the most important rule with there's a couple of rules with compounding. You know, first start. Two, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's a pretty it's a pretty important step. Like mm-hmm. just start um, yep. because it, it, you know the best time to plant an oak tree was 50 years ago. The second best time is today. Is is the old saying, um, and then just get out of the damn way and just don't interrupt it. I think Charlie Munger says that's that's the first rule of investing is don't interrupt it. So I would say the first rule is starting and then the second rule is get the damn get get the heck out of the way um, and just just let it let it do its thing. And even if mm. you are 60 and look at the actuarial mm. tables mm. if you if you're a healthy 60-year-old yeah. you yep. you got decades in front of you, right? So yep. so to say oh I don't buy green bananas anymore and it's too late for me and no it's absolute nonsense. You know, mm-hmm. absolutely invest for growth and you, you, you can still do extremely well. And the other thing, of course, is just to balance it all. I mean, you don't want to be that person who just loses every single last cent at the market. You'll be incredibly yep. rich, but you'll probably be a yep. miserable old bugger yeah. as well. <laughs> like, life is to be, you could be here by a bus tomorrow. So you got to, you want to balance yeah. it, right? You want to, you want to enjoy yourself at the same time. Yes, just keep those two thoughts in uh, in check. I, 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 I posted it on Black Friday, partly in jest, partly seriously. Um, look, if you don't spend that 200 bucks on whatever you're going to buy because the email suggested you should, then it's worth this much in retirement. And half people said, yeah, exactly. The other people said, oh, come on, live a little, you stingy <laughs> prick. Um, I shouldn't say that. Uh, and, uh, and it was kind of one of those, you know, I mean, it was, it was partly tongue-in-cheek and partly serious. It was just to, it was just to in my mind, again, because I'm a little bit contrary, uh, just to kind of, you know, be, be a different voice to the, the absolute avalanche of emails and text messages and ads on TV and the newspaper saying, buy this, buy this, buy that, buy that. I was like, just actually, maybe, but maybe there's also, you know, a chance to do something a little bit different. And I think, um, yeah, but there, there is there is truth somewhere in between. Like half those people I'm sure who said, I'll go and live a little. I, I wonder if they've actually got their financial lives in order. Maybe they haven't. That's great. Or maybe they're just making an excuse or trying to you know convince themselves that I'm wrong. Uh, so do don't 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 uh, don't keep yourself in either direction. Don't be that stingy bloke who's you know lives a miserable life and dies with a lot of money but still dies miserable. Yep. But also don't give yourself too many excuses not to at least do the right thing first. <laughs> I think I think one of the things I I think about it probably to a, a, almost an unhealthy degree is. Mm. Um, is the concept of opportunity cost, I think, is probably one of the most fundamental things that you can get your head around. It should really mm. be taught in school. <laughs> because obviously, every dollar you spend is something you can't spend somewhere else. And even if you've decided to invest it, if I decide to put it all in BHP, well, it's all in BHP. I can't do anything else with it. There's, everything has an opportunity cost. Going into the city on Saturday night, or as opposed to sitting on the couch, or vice versa, depending on what your preference might be. So, so, um, yeah, absolutely. Life's to be lived. It's just just every decision you make precludes a different decision. And it's I think I think there's a lot of wisdom to be had in in absolutely just just before you do anything, just say, well, what is the cost of this? And and when I say cost, I mean yes, the opportunity yes, cost, yes, which is a yes. very real cost. Um, whether that's in your time or in your money, is just a really good lens to look look through. Because when you start mm-hmm. doing that, you'll start recognizing that that some costs are huge. I mean, the the mm. the cost of twenty year old me um, putting money into uh, some stupid investment wasn't just the two thousand bucks I lost at that point in time. Um, it was probably, gosh, a hundred grand would it mm. be mm. by the time I, mm. you know, give it. But if I just put that into an index and compounded that and let that ride for another forty years, I mean, the the cost is massive. 
And that's that's the right way to look at it. Did I lose two thousand dollars of that stupid little investment I bought when I was twenty years old and young and green? No, I lost I mm. lost a, far more than that. And and yeah, as I say, it's it's, oh. it's a useful way of looking at things. I I want to I want to finish the podcast, basically we're over time, and also to save myself the embarrassment. But I I have also written um it's on the internet somewhere. Don't look it up because I don't know the embarrassment. I I was stupid enough when I was twenty something to. Have I, told, have, I, have I told the car allowance story on on the podcast? Before, um, right? Not for a while, if Probably. you have. I'll make I'll make it quick. Um, so I'm working as a, an analyst at a food company, Heinz. It was at the time, and uh, I got a promotion to be an account manager, to be in sales. And so when you got when you got this is the old days when they used to get car, company cars and car allowances. Um, so the company cars, you could choose the company car or to get the car allowance and buy whatever car you wanted, or you could save the money. So uh, I of course did the smart thing and bought a car. Uh, so- <laughs> So I went for I this. I got this company car, a car allowance. And it's like, well, I got a car. This is free money. It's extra money. I can just, you know, I'd have to take the company car and go lease my lease. It was a lease to. I go lease a car. I'm going to be, you know, I'm, I've got this money and I'm, I'm young up and coming and I'm full of ego and testosterone and all this sort of good stuff. And so I'm, a, you know. Anyway, speaking of opportunity costs, I went and I bought myself a sixty uh, something thousand dollar Volkswagen Passat. Now I was smart enough not to buy the expensive BMW with the Audi. I bought the, the you know the, 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 the tradesman's version of the of the fleet. Still quite a lot going back twenty thirty yeah, years. Yeah, and it was a lovely. Hey, careful of the thirty. Uh, it was a lovely car, and I loved it. And it was leather seats and smelt lovely, and you know. Uh, I thought it was. I thought the girls would be impressed. I'm not sure that ever was the truth, but you know, there is what it is. Anyway, I uh, so paid sixty something, sixty five grand for it, something like that. I would have paid interest then on the lease on the loan. I paid the balloon out, which didn't cost me money because it was worth less than that. Finally, wised up, sold the car. I don't know. I probably owned it for four years. I probably bought it for sixty five, and I probably sold it for eighteen. I think. Oh. Um, yeah, I was. The whole thing was a debacle. It's just complete. Just you literally right? cost yourself half a million dollars, I reckon. More uh, than you, that. You, you I did, just, I, no, I did. I did the maths. I did the maths. Right. If, you, if I'd compounded that at the average market rate over forty something years, I think by retirement I worked out it was going to cost me more than a million bucks. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so you want to talk about opportunity costs? Yeah. I am. I have an absolute classic example uh, of exactly that. So yes, yes, absolutely. Opportunity cost um, is a real, very, very, very real and a very expensive thing. And I will always... The other thing is you can't get it back. That's the thing about the yeah. youth thing, right? Like I, I mean, I joke about being younger, but those things you do or don't do right or wrong at that age, they are, you know, they're not... They're not, it's not it hasn't destroyed me financially. I'm going to be fine. Mm. But the maths on that tells you exactly everything you need to know about why making good decisions at, and why it's super is important, back to my original point. But mm. making better decisions when you're young is, is, is super important. Yeah. Have we flogged that horse? The, the trouble the trouble is is that we would have come across many people saying don't yeah. do it don't do it and yep. there'll be young people hearing that message today saying don't you'll do it because that's the arrogance of youth <laughs> that's right? right like it's just that's what i was saying about yeah. ex- that's exactly the problem yeah. yes it will always exactly be thus. it will always be thus you know <laughs> and i don't even i don't even say it critically because it just it yep. just is like it's it's very very you have some lessons you just have to learn the hard way yep exactly exactly all right, mate, I reckon that'll probably do us. I've, I've embarrassed myself enough, so let's uh, let, <laughs> let's move on. Uh, will you come back next Friday? Yes, try and stop me. I will. Well, I'll, I'll do my best, but I don't think I'll be lucky. <laughs> no, so. no such luck. No. <laughs> any, exactly, that's right. I wish. No, I'm kidding. Uh, thank you, mate, for coming. We will see you next Friday. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast if you can, particularly if you're using Apple, because that's where most of the ratings are done these days. If you throw us five stars, we'd really appreciate it. I'd say throw us as many stars as you think is appropriate, but five is the only thing that matters these days in podcast land. So if you are enjoying the podcast, as I often say, if you made it this far, you're either crazy or enjoying it. But either way, whichever of those is true, uh, please give us a five-star review. If you wouldn't mind, a review would be lovely as well. A few words if you're liking what we're doing. Otherwise, enjoy the rest of your weekend. See you next Friday and full on. Cheers. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under Financial Services Licence 400691.